Welcome back to the Chelsea Overseas Podcast, Episode 7. Today, we'll be recapping Graham Potter's first match against Salzburg, and we'll be previewing Canada's international window. So let's start off with the Champions League game against uh, against uh, Salzburg. What did you see tactically in Graham Potter's first match? And let's just go over that really quickly. What did you see that was maybe a little bit different from how Thomas Tuchel played at Chelsea? Yeah, well... Graham Potter went with that back three. The wingbacks were pushed very high, as we often see with Graham Potter's teams. Raheem Sterling went out to left wing back, uh, and Reese James was pushed very high on the right, basically a right wing back. And then what you saw was a kind of diamond form in midfield with Jorginho at the base of it, Kovacic and Mason Mount as the two number eights on either side of Jorginho. Then you had Kai Havertz as kind of the number 10, who was kind of drifting underneath the number nine, Aubameyang. Now, at times that did look like a front two, but Havertz was kind of drifting uh, as a number 10 more often than not. So that was very interesting watching this match. And and you see exactly what we spoke about, about Graham Potter. Those wingbacks didn't really drop in to, to form a back five in defense. Right, Raheem Sterling stayed quite high. And Reese James, too, didn't really fully drop in also. So they were quite... Now, his Reese James' position was a bit deeper than Raheem Sterling's, but it still wasn't a f- like full back five uh, in, in defense. It did look more of a back three. So, so yeah, a lot of little differences, but key tactical differences between what we saw from Thomas Tuchel and now what we're starting to see from Graham Potter. Yeah, we talked about how the wingbacks will be really pushed up really high. They won't be dropping back very often. And the diamond form in midfield was definitely an interesting uh, look out there for Chelsea. Now, let's talk about some things that you might have liked that Graham Potter have done, has done and some things that you might not like and would like to hopefully see some change in the future. Yeah, well, the things I liked in this match, I liked our build-up play. I liked the way that we played through Salzburg's press. We know Salzburg do like to press at times. I think Chelsea did quite a good job playing through that press, and you especially saw the right-hand side of Mason Mount and Reese James really combine well and uh, help Chelsea get through that press. So I think that was good. I think Chelsea's build-up play was a bit more fluid with uh, the very high wing backs, kind of more bodies in midfield with that diamond. I think Chelsea's buildup was was better, and I think that they created a lot of kind of different areas and situations and chances in the attacking third. Um, and I really like, I, I liked the impact Sterling made on the left-hand side. Maybe that's something that kind of develops is that role maybe as a left wing back maybe he's Potter's Leandro Trossard I mean that and and the way he took that goal uh, Raheem Sterling it looks like it could be potentially a role that suits him uh, out wide on the left hand side I think he was playing very centrally under Thomas Tuchel a lot I think maybe under Graham Potter we could see him play a bit wider I also liked um, how high Reese James played. We know the quality he has. I think Mason Mount really suits the deeper role. You see the 
work that he does off the ball. Uh, and often, because Reese James was getting pretty far forward, uh, Mason Mount did kind of drop in a lot defensively and did a lot of good work there. And was also very progressive and combined well in his, in his play with Reese James and Chelsea's buildup. So I think uh, evidently, He's going to play much deeper deeper than he did under Tuchel. And I think that was his best performance so far this year. So those were a few things that I liked. In terms of what I didn't necessarily like, I think obviously the problems continue in the attacking third, right? And that's going to be a big thing for Graham Potter uh, because obviously Thomas Tuchel's struggled a lot uh, to get the best out of Chelsea in the attacking third. Uh, so that's a big question. Can he get Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going? Obviously, you have Raheem Sterling, but what about the likes of Pulisic, Ziyech? What about Broya? Does does he find a way into Potter's system? I think there's a, there could be a spot for him, and I'd actually really like to see him start because he continues to make a good impact off the bench. So, uh, yeah, continuous problems in the final third. Chelsea definitely in the first half had to be more direct and decisive in their play. And in the second half, they didn't take their chances when they came, which is obviously typical of Chelsea. And the other thing I'd say was I don't think Chelsea were entirely comfortable defending counterattacks and transitions. Obviously, when you have N'Golo Kante in the team, this helps. But still, it's the problem we've talked about in midfield is I think Chelsea really needs that number six. And I think Zakaria really needs a chance. You know, at least he needs to be given a chance because he, he's, we don't really have a another player that's quite like him in this squad. So I think he should be given a chance, uh, but the midfield remains an issue. And and the other thing is definitely when you look at that back three that Chelsea put out, you do see only one natural center back, Thiago Silva. Now, you would imagine uh, that Fafana and Koulibaly are going to have a big role. Uh, so you'd imagine that if Kukurea is going to kind of play that spot on the left of the back three. On the right, I don't think Aspilicueta should be starting regularly but I think I think definitely for Chelsea they they created the better chances against Salzburg but it was more of the more of the same problems in the attacking third yeah so there were a lot of ups a lot of downs from Graham Potter's first game as Chelsea manager he does have to kind of pick up the pace though because they only have one point in the first two games in the Champions League um, this is the worst start since the 1999-2000 season. And in this rate, they might not even make the Europa League, but well, hopefully they'll get past to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Now, let's shift away from Chelsea and let's talk about Canada's international window. So let's start with the team news. And Adam, you've... Can you break it down to us, like who's injured and who's back and who are some maybe new faces? Yeah, so injuries is quite an extensive list. Tiba Hutchinson is probably the biggest concern with a bruised bone that has kept him out at Besiktas. He will not be included in this international window. He, Herdman is hoping that he's back by the end of October, 
But obviously, at 39 years old, recoveries are longer, reoccurring injuries uh, are more frequent. So it is a bit of con- of a concern with Atiba heading into Qatar, and that's something to keep an eye on. Jonathan Azorio, Mark Anthony K have both been out with injuries with TFC, but they're returning, and they both played a part in uh, TFC's latest defeat. Daniel Henry is out with a hamstring injury, which brings Derek Cornelius back into the fold. Tejan Buchanan also has been out all season with Club Bruges uh, with a quad injury. He is called into the squad, but he'll probably only play a minimal role. And obviously, because we're only a few months away from the World Cup, you want to be very careful. So it's a, it's a pretty extensive list for... For injuries for Canada. New faces, Joel Waterman is finally into the squad. I'm very happy that he is. He's been absolutely wonderful for Montreal. He could play anywhere in a back three, and I think he completely deserved this call-up. So I'm very, very happy to see him in the Canada team, and I think he should be taken to Qatar also. So that is awesome. In terms of who's back in the fold, the likes of Charles Andreas Brim is back. Um, Liam Miller is back, who was injured in June, but he's doing well in Switzerland with Basel. He's back. Theo Corbianu, the Wolves player who's on loan at Blackpool, who's doing really well in the player I very much like. He is back. And that is it. Right. I know that you've been praising Joel Waterman for such a long time that you're like, oh, this guy deserves to be called up ever since, ever since you know, we've been talking about Canada soccer on this podcast and really happy to see Waterman really called up here. But now let's welcome back Luca Kalosha. Kalisho, Kalisho, something like that. What's his status and do you think that he'll play in these two friendlies? Yeah, so he is... Uh, playing in La Liga currently with Espanyol. He's made a few appearances off the bench. Uh, Definitely a very promising player. He is a dual national. He can play for the United States. He's only 18. He hasn't made the decision yet. But it's very positive to see him in our camp, in our squad, uh, because hopefully that makes him lean more towards us. And I think he will play, especially with Tejan Buchanan's injury. Uh, I think I think he'll definitely get some minutes, and I think it's important that he does. Again, hopefully this camp, obviously June was was a disaster with the friendly and all the off-the-field issues, and Luca Luca never really got the chance to play. But I'm sure he'll get the chance to play here. He loves Alfonso Davies, apparently. I mean, who wouldn't? And it's very positive to have him for these friendlies. And it's one of the biggest positives of the window and I'm very excited uh to see him take the field. Yeah, hopefully he gets uh he plays quite a bit for this uh Canada team in these friendly so that you know, as you mentioned, he leans towards this uh Canadian squad that's really showing promise and will rise up in the ranks in CONCACAF in the next few years. But earlier you mentioned Atiba Hutchinson being injured. Uh, is the midfield, do you think the midfield will be kind of a concern with Atiba Hutchinson injured? Also with Azorio and K coming back from injury, I've heard that they will not play until the World Cup because Toronto FC did not make the playoffs. So is the midfield a little bit of a concern? 
Yeah, well, I think if you want one burning question for John Herdman going into this World Cup, it is the midfield. Obviously, you have Stefan Estacchio in there who's doing great for Porto and starting in the Champions League. But who's going to partner him in that first match? Now, the obvious answer is Atiba Hutchinson, but it's not quite the obvious answer because of the injuries co- injury concerns. And with him, it's really all about fitness. So if Atiba can't start that first match, you look at Azorio, you look at Kay, you look at Sampiet, Ismail Kone, it's a real battle. Now, I think it's very important to note that Azorio and Kay won't be playing for a little bit because TFC didn't make the playoffs. Whereas Sam Piet and Ismail Kone both will be with Montreal. And with the way Montreal has been playing, you'd expect them to go pretty deep. So I think that's that's huge for, for John Herdman, especially when you're going into a first game against a team like Belgium. Uh, they do, Canada does have that friendly against Japan on November 17th, but it's not the competitive match that obviously you're going to get at the World Cup. So I, I think that spot is wide open. I think it's up to Azorio, K, Piet to really impress in this window and nail down that spot. But this is the burning question, I think, for, for John Herdman. Yeah, you mentioned also as well the Ismail Kone. Do you think he can really have an opportunity to really take this and solidify a place in the midfield? Yeah, I think I think for Ismail Kone, I think he has a an opportunity to solidify a, a bigger place in this team. Uh, I don't think that's starting that first match against Belgium or starting against Croatia. I think his game could mature a bit more and use a bit more development. But I think Sam Piet, you know, I've I've actually read a lot about Ismail Kone this potentially being a breakout window for him. And like I said, I, I, I can agree in terms of, you know, really booking his place to the, to Qatar, maybe having an impact off the bench in those games, being someone who Herdman can trust to bring off the bench and trust to have an impact on the field. But in terms of starting, you look at the experience of Azorio, K. Piet. You look at maybe a little bit more of the development that Kone needs in his game, and I don't think Kone starts that match at the World Cup. I think the the one who has the biggest opportunity is Sam Piet, because with Azorio and K not playing until the World Cup, I think he has a real opportunity. And it's not only that, it's because of how well he's been playing for Montreal. Him and Victor Wanyama have been awesome, one of the best midfields in the ML in the MLS. So and and Piet's been awesome. And the experience he has, I think Herdman could absolutely trust him in those opening matches. So I think he has a real opportunity with what he does in this window, but what he does with Montreal in the MLS playoffs to maybe creep into that starting eleven against Belgium and that would be that would be quite quite incredible. I mean, who would have expected that? So, I think the the, the midfield is one million percent something to watch, keep an eye on in these matches and throughout uh, Montreal's run in the MLS playoffs. 
Yeah, speaking of Montreal, obviously they're doing really well in the MLS. But one particular player from Montreal, Alistair Johnston, you know, he's he's kind of played more of an advanced position at Montreal. Do you think this might influence John Herdman to maybe play him in a different position? So my opinion on this, and I've I've been watching CF Montreal. Uh, I think Alistair Johnston. It's who is this guy? The center back slash right back that's been turned into a right wing back. Soon, soon he's going to be playing right wing, and uh, he has been incredible. The the attacking quality that he's brought to Montreal at wing back, and um, his deliveries into the box, the way he's arrived into the box, and and finished and scored some great goals. I mean, his game has really developed at Montreal. And he's he's extremely flexible. You you feel like you could fit him into any sort of system. He's kind of a manager's dream in that way. And right back, right center back, right wing back now, he's he's got a bit of everything. And I don't know how teams in Europe aren't looking at this guy. Because out of all the Canadians that aren't in Europe, this is the one that's at the top of the list for me. And in, in, now, in terms of Herdman, does he play him in a, a, a more advanced role like you see at Montreal? I don't think so. I, I think we simply have so much wingback, winger depth that does does Alistair Johnston get ahead of Richie Larea or, or Alfonso Davies or Tejan Buchanan or Sam Atacube at wingback? I I don't think so. I wouldn't expect that. Uh, so I don't really see his position changing. I still see him playing that right center back, right back role. But I do think in that back three, Canada likes to use that back three in possession. I do think he should be encouraged to get forward a bit, step out in that back three and look to play a few early crosses into the box. And I think his kind of the way his game has developed and some of his quality on the ball in his uh, decision making and his passing and his dribbling could help Canada play through presses. I think that's something that's key, especially when you come up against teams like Belgium and Croatia, who will look to have a very active counter press and win the ball back quickly. So that's something that Herdman could really use with Alistair Johnston. And Alistair Johnston was always going to start for me in Qatar every single match. Uh, but this has just given him something different to his game now. It, it, it just, it looks really complete. And again, how are teams not looking at this guy and European teams? How? So I, I love Alistair Johnston and uh, it, I can't wait to see how he brings some of these qualities we've seen at Montreal or Canada. It definitely is a head scratcher thinking about how he's not like a transfer target for maybe not a top five league, but definitely like maybe like the Portuguese league or like in Netherlands or Belgium. It's interesting to see um, how he's not being looked at. You know, he's definitely one of the top guys in this Canadian team. Now let's quickly go over uh, the two opponents that they'll be playing, Qatar and Uruguay. What are you looking forward to in these two matches? Yeah, so I'm I'm extremely excited for for Uruguay, and I think you you look at John Herdman's comments about you know how difficult it kind of was to arrange friendlies against Tier One opponents. For Canada to get Uruguay, that's pretty darn good, and 
Uruguay is that tier one opponent. And I think what you're looking for in this match is obviously how can Canada kind of bridge the gap in quality between themselves and that tier one opponent, right? How do, how does Canada set up tactically? How conservative are they defensively? And where do they look to take their risks? How do they create these transitional moments that could be so key when they face the top teams at the World Cup? Something interesting, I think, is that, you know, obviously there's a lot of questions on the midfield, but the front four, kind of defensively, we like to play often in a 4-4-2. So kind of those two wide midfielders and the two strikers, does Herdman go with Davies Buchanan, David Laren, or... Does he throw Richie Larea on the right and put Tejon Buchanan or Alfonso Davies up top in a front two? Because when you look at Belgium and Croatia and you look at maybe creating chances in transition, putting Alfonso Davies or Tejon Buchanan in the front two can create a real, real threat. The amount of pace that's in that front two is simply ridiculous. And any backline should worry about that. I think something that's also important to mention about Uruguay and preparing for those first two World Cup matches is we've seen Canada use a 4-4-2 a lot, especially without the ball. But could it be beneficial to add an extra body in midfield? Obviously, kind of the last thing you want against the midfields of Belgium and Croatia is to be a little bit outnumbered. So does Canada maybe move away from the 4-4-2 in those first two matches and go to something like a 4-2-3-1? I don't really see them going to a 4-3-3 or 4-5-1 in defense. But I think a 4-2-3-1, which they've done, if you go back to World Cup qualifying, you go back to that match against Mexico, that's something that Canada did and Azorio played as the number 10. That 4-2-3-1 could be something that Canada maybe goes back to with Azorio as the number 10. So keep an eye on that against Uruguay. Does Canada go to that three-man midfield? Yeah, what about Qatar, though? I mean, this, I think, is obviously the World Cup host, and some people, maybe not... Um, maybe not Canadian fans, will say that this will be kind of similar in skill level, but I think we have a slight edge. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think with Qatar, Qatar's a really fun team. I mean, you look back at the Gold Cup and the amount of goals that they scored and some of the attacking quality that they showed. So I think this will be a fun game, maybe a bit open. And I, I think with Canada, it, it, this game will, will maybe show them more on the front foot and see how they can balance staying solid without the ball while playing a bit more on the front foot, having a bit more possession, and breaking down Qatar. And Qatar, obviously, this gives Canada uh, a test against another non-CONCACAF opponent, which is key, kind of measuring themselves against those non-CONCACAF uh, opponents, and it'll be a test for, for them defensively. Canada will obviously face better attacking quality that they played in CONCACAF and Qatar are a team that that have uh, had some success going going forward uh, like we saw at the Gold Cup so I think it'll be a test for Canada 
defensively and a, and a good one. All right, so we do have to talk about the 26-man roster called up for these two friendlies against Qatar and Uruguay. Who's Who here is a lock, do you think? And who do you think is a big omission from the squad? Let's start with the goalkeepers. Milan Borjan, Maxim Crepo, and Dane St. Clair called up. I don't think there's much of a surprise here. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think they're all locks and going to Qatar uh, for for sure. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, Milan Borjan being the clear first choice keeper for Canada, Crepo being the second, and Dane, being, Dane Sinclair being the third choice. Not much surprise there. Moving on to the defenders. Called up right now, we have Sam Adekube, Derek Cornelius, Alfonso Davies, obviously, Alistair Johnston, pretty obvious as well, Scott Kennedy, Richie Leria, Kamal Miller, Stephen Victoria, and Joel Waterman. Any surprises here, Adam? Yeah, so Johnston is, is an immediate lock for Qatar. There's no question about it. Miller and, Vit and Victoria are your top two center backs. So they're on the plane. I also would put Daniil Henry and Scott Kennedy as locks for Qatar. And the reason I say that, I think Daniil Henry is a big personality and leader in the dressing room. I think the, the players obviously love him and respond to him. And really, the only reason why he was out for this window was injury. So maybe based on performances, you know, a lot of people might think he's on the outside looking in. But based on his on the whole package and what he brings to the squad, and we have to remember that at a World Cup, you know, it's obviously very important to have your best players on the field. But it's also important to have some guys off the field and in the dressing room who players respond to. And Daniil Henry seems to be one of those big personalities. And I think John Herdman will really want him uh, in Qatar. So I think he's going to go. Uh, Scott Kennedy, for me, I think um, for depth purposes in our back line, he, for me, is a lock. I, I don't see why he, he wouldn't go. I think Cornelius has made it a bit interesting uh, playing in a good league in Greece. But I, I do think uh, Scott Kennedy, from what he showed in World Cup qualifying and uh, the, the quality that he has on the ball and, and in the back three on that left side, I don't think uh, Herdman leaves him out. So I'd, I'd, I'd say he's a lock. Richie Larea is obvious. Uh, he's obviously going. Sam Atakube is obviously going also. Yeah, Donnell Henry being the main omission from the squad, but of course he's injured, so he will not be playing in these two friendlies. Now as to who replaces him, we might get that to, we might get to that later on because there are some also interesting call-ups in these two friendlies. Moving on to the mid, what Canada classifies as their midfielders, we have Stephen Eustachio, Mark Anthony K, Ismail Kone, Jonathan Azorio, and Samuel Piet called up. Anything surprising here? Yeah, so Atiba, Atiba Hutchinson obviously is starting the first game against Belgium if he's not injured. So he's on the plane if he's fit. Obviously, I'm saying this as if everyone's healthy. Uh, Mark Anthony Kay is, is going. Jonathan Azorio is going. Sam Piet's going. The big question is who's going to start. That's really the big question. But those five, Stefan Estacchio, 
T. Botchinson, Mark Anthony K., Jonathan Azorio, Sam Piet, they're absolute locks. They're going. Uh, it does get very interesting with Ismael Kone. I think he's... I wouldn't consider him a lock for Qatar. I think he's like borderline. Like he's close. Like 90, 95% of the way. I think if he has a good window here, I think he solidifies his spot. And and what I think is so key about Ismael Kone is you look at... Look at the players that I listed. So Sam Piet's a six. Tibachinson is a six. Estacchio with his club is more of an eight, but with us, he's a six. Okay, and then Kay and Azorio are eights. You don't really have someone who's more of a number 10 or someone with a, a bit more of an attacking mindset in that number eight role. And that's what Ismael Kone does bring. And that's why I think that he should be taken to Qatar and... I, I wouldn't necessarily consider him a lock because you do have other options like Liam Frazier who did well in World Cup qualifying. You have options like David Watherspoon who's also a player that could play higher up the pitch and has done well coming back from a long injury. But I think Ismael Kone is the most likely one to be on that plane. I think with a good window here, especially with Watherspoon and Frazier not in the squad, a good window here solidifies the spot. Yeah, I mean, the main mission being Atiba Hutchinson, obviously, but Ismail Kone, if he can get a good window, we've talked about this, um, then he'll be solidifying his spot in Qatar, but also for me, he's about 90% of the way there. Now, moving on to Canada Soccer's forwards, we have Charles Andreas Brim, we have Tejon Buchanan, Lucas Cavallini, Theo Corbino, Jonathan David, Junior Hoylet, Luca Colosho, Kyle Laren, Liam Miller, and E.K. Ugbo. Any anything a bit surprising here? Because I think most of the players here are locks for Qatar, such as Buchanan, Cavallini, David, Hoylet, etc. Yeah, uh, I think Hoylet's a lock. Buchanan's a lock. <laughs> Is Davies a lock? <laughs> So yeah, Davies a lock, David's a lock, Laren's a lock, Ugbo's a lock, Cavallini's a lock. I don't understand people that don't think Cavallini's a lock. Who who would replace him exactly? I mean, Akinola has been nowhere near his best with TFC, so who exactly would replace Cavallini? And I actually think, something on Cavallini, I think he could easily get more minutes than Ugbo just because of Cavallini's impact off the bench. And... His immediate impact in matches could be something that Herdman turns to very late on, potentially. Uh, so that's why I think he's going, and I don't think there's a question about it. In terms of kind of the others, the winger position is just so deep. Theo Corbianu, Liam Miller, Luca Coliosho, Charles Andreas Brim, who's obviously more of a striker. Between those guys, you're probably thinking... One or two of them is going to Qatar. I wouldn't consider any of them locks because I I think they're all kind of... Well, Corbiano, Miller, and Brim are in the same sort of bracket, right? Colosho obviously has that potential to be a tier one player. And I think with Colosho, if he were to want to be at the World Cup and commit to Canada, then I think he has a spot just because of his tier one potential. And if he's getting appearances even off the bench for Espanol, why wouldn't he be included? 
So there's players ahead of him in the depth chart, obviously, but why not bring him? So I think there's a spot for him. I wouldn't call him a lock, but I do think there there could be a spot for him. And then you're looking at one of Corbianu, Miller, and Brim. Uh, they've all they're all playing pretty well in Europe. Uh, Brim in Netherlands, Miller with uh, Basel in Switzerland, and Corbianu on loan from Wolves at Blackpool. But for me, if I had to lean towards one, I'm leaning a bit more towards Theo Corbianu. I think he's got something that a lot of these Canada forwards kind of don't, and that's a bit more directness to his game. Very direct, one-on-one, great with both feet, can play either side. And while a lot of Canada's players are very creative, Corbiano is extremely direct. And I think that's that's something that maybe leans more towards his way. So, But, but it's really kind of a, a toss-up you feel between those three. Or another player I wanted to focus on was Joel Waterman. And I didn't call him a lock. The reason for that is... This is his first camp, and as much as I think he'll be on the plane to Qatar, and similar to Kone, I think he's actually pretty close. Kone's closer because he's played in Canada's squad before and everything, but Waterman, I, I, I think, will go. I don't think he's he's that far off. But obviously, I think he's got kind of something to prove in this window, and maybe not as much off the field, or sorry, maybe not as much on the field, but also off the field and what he does in training, defending Davies, defending David. I mean, that's the biggest task, right? If you could deal with Alfonso Davies in training, I think you should be on the plane to Qatar. So that that's, and that's too bad because we don't see that stuff. Um, we're not there behind the scenes, but that is something to, to, to watch out for. So I think Waterman would get the nudge over Cornelius Waterman and Kennedy would get the nudge over Cornelius, but it's it's definitely not totally set in stone at the moment. I think Waterman can solidify his place in this window. And then one more player I wanted to mention was Raheem Edwards, the LA Galaxy fullback, who's done really well. So so basically, you look at St. Clair, Crepeau, Boyan, Johnston, Henry, Kennedy, Miller, Vittoria, Larea, Atacube, Stacchio, Atiba, Kay, Azorio, Piat, Hoyle, Buchanan, Davies, David, Ugbo, Cavallini, Kone, Corbianu, Koliosho, Waterman. That's 25 players, right? We need a 26th. We have so many wingers in this team. So you can add Liam Miller, maybe Charles Andreas Brim, right? I mean, they're probably going to get nowhere near touching the field. But you can take another winger or you can take another fullback where we obviously have less fullbacks. Atacube, Larea, Johnston. So honestly, for me, I, I would I would bring Edwards as the 26 just for extra fullback depth because we have so many wingers. It's ridiculous. So I, I would bring Raheem Edwards but I wouldn't really disagree if if Miller came or Brim came I mean I think the 26 man squad have made it pretty easy uh on on the managers this would be more interesting if it was 23 but yeah I think like I said I think most of these players are locks there's just maybe you know five 
uh, spots in this squad that will be solidified in the next little bit. Yeah, going back to Cavallini though, um, maybe some some people are maybe a little bit turned off by Cavallini because he he kind of has a reputation for going on a little bit of scoring droughts, and some people will be like, oh, that's a big problem. That like timing is timing is kind of a big thing here for Cavallini, but he he's a lock for me. I mean, he's he's been so he's been so good for this Canada national team, and to kind of admit him at the last last hurdle, which is obviously Qatar is going to be a little bit of a big question mark. So for me, Cavallini is a lock. Yeah, yeah, I, I com completely agree. And you talk about scoring droughts. Look at the scoring droughts Akinola has gone through with TFC this year. So, yeah, I, Cav Cavallini has to go. How about a, like a 93rd minute Lucas Cavallini yellow card? That's what I want to see. Would love to see that as well. All right, that'll do it for us from this week. We'll be back next week to recap Canada's international window against Qatar and Uruguay. We'll be previewing Chelsea's matches against Crystal Palace and the UCL game against AC Milan, which is a must-win in my eyes. All right, thank you for listening, and go Canada.